Well, if you have your Bibles with you or if you want to go ahead and just grab a pew Bible or maybe open up an app on your phone, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Revelation chapter 21. And so go ahead and open your Bibles up before we read it. You know, we have obviously begun the Advent season, and Advent season obviously uh, coincides with the Christmas season uh, with the rest of people around us, right? The way that we celebrate Christmas is a little bit more intentional uh, as we think about Advent as a part of the Christmas season, but for others, it's simply just Christmas and maybe has a consumer mindset to it. But if there's one thing that, regardless of how you view it, when I look out, I am just always enamored by what I see. I don't know if it's just all the evergreen or the lights. I mean, even in our own sanctuary, we had hanging of the greens this past Wednesday. And I look around, and I'm just in awe of its beauty. I'm in awe of its beauty. I love lit Christmas trees in windows, wreaths hung on the door, candles lit. I mean, I can't wait for our Christmas Eve candlelight service. There's just something so special about it. And it reminds me in my heart that I think I was made for something so much more. I think I've mentioned it before, but I really love to read fantasy. I love fantasy novels. I love fantasy TV shows. I love fantasy movies. Because they kind of portray this other world. They portray something bigger or greater or mystical than myself. And the world that I immediately see around me. But I feel that Christmas and Advent season really brings a lot of that to life in a really special and particular way. It's probably why I, when I put up my Christmas decorations, they don't come down till March. Or maybe it's because I'm lazy. I don't know. It's one or the two, but there's something just so special about it. It actually reminds me of this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I feel like Christmas kind of touches on a little bit of that desire, that, that desire that I long for, this experience which I want, and it touches on the surface of desiring that satisfaction that I see. Maybe it's because the evergreen reminds me of eternal life, and the lights hung in trees remind me of the light of the world that has come. It begins to touch the surface of that longing for another world, but it doesn't quite completely satisfy because in March it all comes down. 
or for some on December 26th. But it eventually all goes away, and then we have to wait until people put it back up again, whether it's November 1st or the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> people usually fall into one or two camps. But I'm always finding myself longing to see that beauty again. Or maybe just in the world in general, there are things that we see that just touch on the hint of a longing that we have. I mean, every Sunday, I look up during the prelude and just stare at the stained glass window. I think, what beauty to behold. But also, I know there's something missing. Or maybe it's a sunset, or maybe it's in the mountains or looking out across a lake. But then at the same time, we hear about natural disasters and wildfires and droughts. And we're like, something is also inherently wrong with the world that we are experiencing. I'm sure you have felt it too. You felt it in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. So what is this other world that C.S. Lewis talks about. I actually want to challenge C.S. Lewis a little bit in today's sermon because he says that we, that he has this, that he was made for another world. But I think as we unpack our passage today, we will realize that we were made for this world, but just in a different state. So let's read Revelation 21 this morning. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. And for the cowardly and the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who have seen the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain 
and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like precious stone, as stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall. It had 12 gates, and those gates, 12 angels, and names have been written on those gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as the width then he measured the city with the rod, 12,000 12 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. And the material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like pure glass. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the, fi the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the rest of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no sanctuary in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be closed by day, for there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing defiled. And no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let us pray this morning. Good and gracious God, as we hear your word proclaimed, I pray that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open to hear and to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is good news. There is no wavering here, O Lord. It is a true and faithful testimony. And our, I pray that our hearts would rejoice with its goodness this morning as we come to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there are just a couple things that I want to cover this morning as we also come to celebrate at the Lord's table. But I want to start in verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I told you the first thing that I want to do, even though I love C.S. Lewis's quote because it really gets to the heart of this longing that I think that we all experience sometimes in this world, that there is something just not quite right with the way that we experience everything that we are experiencing. But he says that we were made for another world. But I want to challenge the another part just a little bit. Because I think oftentimes when we approach our idea of heaven and our eternal life with the Lord, we think of a place that we cannot fully comprehend or realize. A place that exists on a different plane of existence in a different dimension or however you want to think about that in your head. We think of heaven as this far off place and that is where we are supposed to land for eternity. We were made for some other world than this one. But I think at the very beginning, when we started this walk through Revelation, I stated that what is so beautiful about it is that in the beginning, man was created and set in a garden. And at the very end, man will find himself once again in the Garden of Eden. We are meant to go from garden to garden. But this second garden is not so far off from where we are right now. In fact, I think that's why we can look out and we can see so much beauty in a world that was broken at the fall. We can look out and we can enjoy sunsets and mountainscapes in rivers and lakes. We can look out and we can experience love in the context of marriages and relationships and friendships. And we can know that there is something good about them. And yet there's still something off about them. Because spouses still fight. Friends' relationships still break. Loved ones still end up leaving us. We know that something is broken, and yet there's, there's this hint, this glimpse of the beauty that existed in the beginning. Last week, I wrapped up our sermon from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But there's one part in there that I'm not sure if you caught it that relates very well to our passage this morning. It's in verse 17. And Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Well, for any of us that are in Jesus, that is true. We have become a new creation, or some translations even say new creature, and old things have passed away. But I challenge you at this, if you're a new creation, has anything about you actually physically changed? Well, maybe. I mean, that's possible. But at the core of your essence, are you still who God made you to be? Is Ina still Ina? Pre-Christ and after Christ. Is Russell still Russell pre-Christ and after Christ? Is Austin still Austin pre-Christ and after Christ? Yes. And yet, each of us is a new creation. And when we read in verse or in chapter 21 of Revelation, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, there is no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Well, does that mean that there's actually going to be a place that's not where we are? And God plucks us off of the earth and then sets us on a new world? I would like to think not. Because God created Adam and Eve for this world. To experience paradise in this place that God created. And thus, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he redeemed people. But in verse 6 of chapter 21 of Revelation, when he said to John the Revelator, and they are done, he meant that all of creation was then put back in its rightful place. And so just as the work of Jesus, when he finished it on the cross, was able to make new creations out of people, so God was able to make new creation out of his creation. When Jesus returns. And so this new heaven and this new earth is not so different from where we are now. And that's where I challenge C.S. Lewis. We were made for, yes, another world, but another world that is this world that has been fully and completely redeemed by the work of Christ on the cross and then set anew by God in, fin in the final days where we shall then live with him for all eternity. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 65, verse 17. Even Isaiah foretold, For behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. You see, I really love that because in addition to this new heaven and this new earth on which we come to reside with God forever, there is this 
promise also of perfection in a way that we can't yet comprehend. I mean, verse 4 in chapter 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. God is at work to restore all things to the way that he always intended them to be. The place that we were always meant to reside. And so when we look out into the world and we see the glimpses of the beauty of God's creation and yet still feel this hole in our heart, it's because we know that things will be put back right. That is what we wait for. In this Advent season, we aren't just looking back for the first coming of Jesus, but we're also looking forward to the second coming so that everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. Everything will be restored. Every bit of brokenness and death and sin that we see in the world will be wiped away forever. And I love that it's just not a new heaven and a new earth, but it's this new Jerusalem, which is called the bride of the Lamb. But we've already talked about, well, who's the bride? His people are. Which means this new Jerusalem is a city for the people of God to live in, to dwell in. And this city of God isn't just a place for our dwelling, but it's a place for God to also dwell. Verse 3, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Doesn't this sound like Eden? Where God would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day? Was not all of history toward one purpose that God would get to dwell among his people once again? A story of redemption that God would be with us. And it started to come into fruition in Jesus, Emmanuel. And it comes to completion when he returns again. Even in Leviticus, God's desire is to be among his people. Chapter 26, verse 12, I will also walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. Even as God was laying out the law for Israel, he had one hope, one ambition to dwell among them. In fact, you've maybe heard the term before, Shekinah glory, the Shekinah glory, the manifest glory of God, which was often portrayed and talked about when 
his glory came and entered in the tabernacle, or when the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke went out before the people of God, or when the glory of the Lord passed by Moses because Moses couldn't look him in the face. All of that is the Shekinah, which comes from the Hebrew root of the word to dwell. To dwell. God's desire was and is to dwell. It always has been to dwell with us. That we would be his people and that he would be our God. And this new Jerusalem is set up in contrast in Revelation to Babylon. We have this abhorrent city filled with all types of immorality and idolatry. That's what I love about Revelation. It sets up a lot of contrasts between good and evil. It sets up a lot of contrasts between what is not so great but looks great to human eyes, but what is the best, what is the pinnacle, what is the greatest thing that could be achieved. And it's always going to be what God is capable of. It's always going to be what Jesus did. It's always going to be what's coming that has not yet come. It's a lot of this tension that we live in the now and the not yet of what God is working out, not just in us, but in his creation. He is making all things new. And this new Jerusalem is no different. It is a city beyond compare. It is matchless to any city that exists on the earth. And there have been a lot of good ones. One of my favorite cities to visit is Chicago. I think it's a really cool city, really neat. Love walking downtown. It's a great city to behold. Any city really is a marvel of man's creation. But it pales in comparison to the city of God. This new Jerusalem its streets are paved with gold. The gates are pearls. The walls are like diamonds. There is gemstones and jewels throughout. Everywhere you look, there is opulence and wealth beyond compare. Also, it's described as really, really big. 12,000 stadia. You might be asking, well, how big is that? 1,400 miles. It would stretch from Spain to the Jordan. Or it would go from the top of Canada to Mexico. And that's just one direction. And then it would go across, and then it's also that high. Now, that might not be literal, because that would look really funny on the side of the earth, globe, and then, you know, kind of a big wart. I don't know. But what it is, it is our 
dwelling place. It is the place that when Jesus said, I go and prepare a room for you, he meant he has a place for you in his city beyond compare. And it is wonderful and beautiful, and there is enough room for all of his people. None will lack, none will want for anything. All that we could ever ask for is provided. And all we really want is Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit because it says that they become our light. There is no need for the sun and the stars and the moon because they light it all. Their glory shines forth and it is our comfort it is our joy. It is our peace. It is a place where there is no weeping, no crying, no pain, no suffering, no death, no cancer, no sin, no defilement, no abomination. Nothing can come into it except that which is holy and pure that Jesus redeemed and wrote into his Lamb's book of life. Praise the Lord that he is at work. He is at work on our behalf. All that is evil is gone, and only good remains. And so your heart longs for something more, as does mine. But that more, it is within reach for all of us. It's there. We just have to believe in our heart that Jesus is who he said he was, who he says he is, who he says he will be. And then we will enter through those gates that are never shut. Because there is no enemy coming against God. In the last days, in eternity, the final age to come, what joy and peace we will experience. What good news it is for us who believe. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, you lead us and guide us into all redemption by the work and power of your Son. And we know that we will see and experience and receive a great joy at the end of the age. But even now we can taste glimpses of it just like we do during this Advent season with trees and evergreen and lights all aglow, may it remind us not only of how you have come, but how you are coming again. It's in Christ's name we pray.